All right, 1 Peter chapter number 2. Thank you for that, Brother Luigi. 1 Peter chapter 2. We are continuing in our journey of experiencing God's enablement in our life through the grace of God, which is emphasized in 1 Peter, to give us hope. It's encouragement through God's enabling. In other words, God wants you to be hope-filled, full of hope and overflowing. And we can be, we ought to be, because God's grace is all sufficient. It's a liberating grace. It's an enabling grace. It strengthens, it empowers, it enables us to be what he's told us to be and what he's commanded us to do. And for that reason, we ought to have hope. And and that was one of the, the primary commands, the first command that God gave us in this book of 1 Peter. And so we're moving right along. This will be the 10th message here. And if you need to catch up, go back. You can go online, go to the podcast and go to YouTube and and um, you can revisit those. But I want us to stand and look at the first three verses of chapter number two. And notice what Peter's doing this morning. Again, we've got to keep in mind the big picture and we'll look at that. In fact, we'll look at the the big idea of it towards the end, but we want to keep in mind that he's writing to believers and they didn't have chapter divisions like we have them. So it was just a letter that was read in the company of the people, the believers of the church, and then they would expound upon it. And so um, I think it would be a help sometimes if we were just to read it all the way through and just hear it the way they heard it. And, um, but I'm asking that you do that on your own in the meantime and, and, and work through this. Work to memorize some of these passages. It's a very powerful, relevant book. First Peter chapter number 2. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings as newborn babes, Desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. If so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Thank you. Please be seated. Now Peter has finished in chapter 13, or excuse me, chapter 1, verse 13, all the way through verse 25 telling the people, telling us what we're supposed to be, what we need to be. Now he's shifting to helping us understand how. How are we to be the the separated people, the serious-minded people who are wholly separated from the things that are against God, separated to God, saturated with God, being Filled with hope. How is this going to happen? Well, that's what he's transitioning to. In verse number one, you find in chapter two, the first word, wherefore. It's like a therefore. And you look at the wherefores and therefores and you understand he's linking it to what he's just talked about. So chapter two, verses one through three, it is logically flowing out of, follows what it flows from. And that's chapter 1, verse 13 through 25. And we saw several messages out of that. And he's shifting his focus to emphasizing the process for what he's laid out for us in those first four commands in chapter 1. Now he's given to us a process to help us be able to carry out these commands. Now remember those 
four commands. The first command was what? Hope. Be full of hope. Expecting God to be God, the God who is, the God who says He is and can do and will do. Overflow with a, 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 an abundance of hope in God. He's the source of our hope. What's the second command? Be holy as He is holy. He's our standard for holiness. The third command, fear God. The fourth command, love God's family. Love God's people. If God loves them, you ought to love them. And that's the emphasis there that we saw. And then we're looking at number five this morning. The fifth command. And the fifth command is not always like it has been. Uh, we've seen thus far. It's not always as, as a parent. And so for that reason, we're going to kind of walk through this. But I think you'll get it rather easily. The fifth command is in verse number two of chapter two. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. The fifth command is desire the sincere milk of the word. In other words, cultivate a desire for God's word. That's the command. Cultivate a desire for God's word. And Peter is now focusing on the process of growth. Remember Jesus said to his disciples who were unsaved, he said, follow me. Now getting saved is an event. Following Jesus is a process of life. It begins with getting saved, but there's a process. And Peter was one of those who heard Jesus say, follow me. And Peter's helping us understand the process of growth. And this morning, I want to preach on that, that very thought of the fifth command. So title of this morning's message is Fifth Command. Intensely crave or long for God's word. And what Peter's going to point out is this, growing, it always goes better with milk. Growing goes better with milk. He says, desire the sincere milk of God's word. Now, in this case, as well as in chapter 1, we're finding a controlling command, and the controlling command is verse 2. It has a modifying participle command of verse number 1. But the primary command, the fifth command, is in verse 2. Verse 1 is also a command, but it modifies the primary command of verse number 2. Does that make sense? In other words, verse number 1 is not there just so that we can check it off. Verse number one is there to help us experience the reality of the command of verse number two. Now, First Peter is a book of hope. We've seen it already over and over again. Peter says to you that, uh, that it doesn't matter what the circumstances may be in your life, Whatever you're going through, you can have hope in God. Romans 15 and verse 4 is a great verse. You may want to write it down. The Bible teaches that we can have hope through the patience and comfort that the Scriptures provide. In other words, the Bible is telling us of itself. <clears throat> as long as you have a Bible, 
As long as God has given you His Word, as long as God is alive, the author of the Word, you have every reason to be hopeful in God. And so Peter turns his emphasis to this process of growth. And it's very simple. Number one, this morning, uh, you find the command, verse two, crave God's word. Number two, in order to do so, verse number one, deal with sin. Or if you want to take it in the order that it comes, verse number one, deal with sin, clean house, so that verse number two, you will have a craving for God's word. And in these, what Peter is literally talking to us about has been our theme for the year, and that is how we can experience God. Now, Peter, I believe, understands that there's a threat of fatalism. And I see the threat in our church. It's a threat to our growth, to our experiencing God. You know why some have gone through the year of hearing us talk about experiencing God, but they themselves have not experienced God? It's because they've embraced the threat of fatalism in their spiritual life. That's what verse number two is, is countering. As newborn babes, verse two, Desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. Let's read that together. Verse 2, ready? As newborn babes desire the sincere. All right, you sound like a Ford trying to start up there. Let's try it again. Verse number 2, let's get with it. Ready? As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. So he's dealing with this, this spiritual fatalism that may exist and how we can find deliverance from that. What is this spiritual fatalism? Well, it's the belief. It's the feeling that you're stuck. You're stuck with the way you are. Somebody says, well, this is the way I, I, I've always been. This is all I will ever experience of God. This is my level of spiritual intensity that I now have, and, and, and that's why I can't go any further. Others may have strong desire for God and experience God, but I, I, I just don't. I will never have those because, well, it's just, that, that's not me. I, I, I'm, I'm not like that. I don't, I don't have the same kind of relationship as somebody else does to their Bible or to the Word of God. And, and the tragedy of spiritual fatalism, it is very prevalent within the lives of God's people, his church, and his disciples. This spiritual fatalism is a feeling that, well, genetic forces in my life, it just keeps me from ever really getting any closer to God. My family forces or my past experience or my present circumstances, they're just too strong to ever allow me to change and really have a heart for God. Oh, I want it, but I just don't think it'll ever be different for me. I know the Bible says we ought to have a fervency and a zeal for God. We ought to delight in God's word, Psalm 37 and verse four. We ought to be hungry for fellowship with the church 
church and Christ's body, John 6 and verse 35. We ought to be at home with spiritual things, Romans 8 and verse 5. We ought to be more bold, 2 Timothy 1 and verse 7. We ought to be in constant joyfulness, Romans 12 and verse 12. We ought to be hope-filled, 1 Peter 1 and verse 13. But... Because of my, my genetic forces, my family situation, my past experience, or my present circumstance, I just can't. Spiritual fatalism is tragic in the lives of God's people and in the church because it leaves people feeling stuck. It takes away hope and dreams of change and growth. It squashes the excitement of living, which is growth. The spiritual fatalism is very tragic. Great things are at stake in your life, and you'll never reach the point where you've arrived at the final stature like our bodies might, because in this matter of our spiritual pilgrimage, we're to always be growing. And the only time that it is acceptable to cease to focus on changing and growing is when we take our last breath here and our first breath there with the Lord. Too many Christians live year after year without much passion for God or zeal for His name or joy in His presence or hope in the promises or constancy in His fellowship. And they feel... Well, it's just how I am. It's just the way I am. And they just settle in like a toddler who stops growing and lives the next 80 years of his life with a baby bottle. God's desire is that you never stop growing. And so because of that spiritual fatalism that exists and permeates our minds, Peter gives us a command by God. And the command is to cultivate deep desires for God's word. Again, verse number two. Let's say it together. As newborn babes, I right, try it again, ready? As newborn babes, that's right. That's it. That is the command to cultivate a deep longing and craving and desire for God. We should have appetites for God's Word, just like hungry newborn babes. We've had some babies born recently. No baby was born. I didn't have to ask because I know the answer. No baby was born and came into the delivery room and said, Wow, what neat devices. High-tech stuff. No, the baby just thought, where's milk? No one had to take a dry erase board and, and show a diagram of the importance of milk to the baby. God made it that way. And when you got saved, God made you that way. But this is a text here where God commands us, listen, not to be spiritual fatalist. Verse 2 is a command. Don't you ever settle with, 
Well, it's just the way I'm always going to be. It's just the way I've always been. I've lived my Christian life more with a lesser desire for the things of God and experiencing the reality of God. I've not denied the faith or the articles of Bible doctrine, but deep down inside, you're not experiencing any liberation. You just settle back in and you're just on this roller coaster ride of life. You've got your ticket that'll get you to heaven, but you've settled in with fatalism that it's just not going to happen for you. And verse 2 is a command to not become a spiritual fatalist. Anorexia, bulimia, they they plague many people in our society, causes poor health and even death. Now that seems like a silly problem for those who enjoy eating. But in reality... It's a severe problem. And anyone who faces it needs immediate attention. I want to tell you what's even more tragic, and that is spiritual anorexia. And it's a greater problem than physical anorexia. See, too many people who profess to know Jesus Christ as Savior, they've not eaten all week. We're quick to digest the garbage of the world, snack on the junk food of superficial religion, but we've learned how to feed very little on the Word of God, the milk and the meat. And by the way, just in passing, when he's talking about the milk of the Word, he's not contrasting it with the meat of the Word. Don't, don't ever think, well, we start with milk and we get to Hebrews on the meat. He, he's not, this is no conflict. The milk and the meat would be the same thing. He's just talking about how it is so very vital. And we'll say a little bit more about that maybe here in a moment. Joshua 1 and verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. But thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. See, this is a command to desire, it says. As newborn babes, say the word. That is a deep craving. It's a deep craving Babes tell you when they're hungry. As we grow older, we don't get over hunger. Often, but you're going to have to hold on there. We're not ready for eating just yet. (laughs) Often, new Christians have a hunger for the Word of God. I enjoy getting around somebody who just got saved. They can't wait to go to church, they can't wait to hear the message. They ask questions about what they read in their Bibles. They're eager to be taught discipleship or Sunday school class. But somehow, as we become older in the Lord, we lose our appetite. Something's not right about that. We become spiritually anorexic. Jeremiah 15, verse 16, thy words were found. Jeremiah said, and I did eat them. And thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of mine heart. For I am called by thy name, O Lord God of hosts. Job 23 and verse 12, I've esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. 
Psalm 119 verse 97, oh how I love thy law, it is my meditation all the day. Psalm 119 verse 72, the law of thy mouth is better unto me than thousands of gold and silver. So this is a, a challenge to us. Don't ever settle with a spiritual fatalistic mindset. Wherever you're stuck, you don't have to be stuck. You don't have to remain in this place of, of not experiencing change. You don't have to be at this place of just hearing how good God is to other people, but it's just not going to be that way for you. You don't have to be there. This is a command that says, don't you ever talk. You don't have an excuse because God is eliminating that. It is to develop a deep craving for God's word. But notice this also, it is a command. It's a command. It's a command. You say, yeah, I get it. One more thing I got to add to my list. No, you're missing what I'm saying. This is the most unusual command to me. Do you get the command that this is different than the other commands? The other commands were be this or do this. This command is feel this. Desire this. That's like saying you better desire to eat all the collard greens on your plate. And you better desire not to throw them up afterwards. Well, and the kid may say, how, how can I control that? And that is what many a person who makes the excuse and hangs on to a spiritual fatalism, uh, how, can I, how, how can I do this? See, he's saying, if you feel stuck because you don't have the spiritual desire, you do not need to be stuck. So Peter says, cultivate those desires. Get those desires that you don't have. So often God's people have just said, I don't have it. I hope it comes. I'll pray about it. I, I want it, but I don't have it. Peter says, if you don't have the deep longing and craving for God's word, get it. Cultivate it. If you don't crave and desire the milk of the word, start cultivating and desiring the milk of the word. Now to me, again, I say that's amazing. It's a command to desire. It's a command to feel longings that we do not feel. It's a command to feel desires we do not have. Is anything more contrary to spiritual fatalism than that? Fatalism says, I just can't create desires. God says, yes, you can, and you better start. See, if they're not there, they're not there, we say. Peter says, if they're not there, get them there. Well, if I don't feel things the way the psalmist seems to feel things, then I can't do anything about it. The psalmist says in Psalm 42, verse 1, as the heart or as the deer panted after the water brooks, so panted my soul after thee, O God. Well, well my heart just doesn't. Well, Peter says, well, we'll make it. If I don't feel that way toward God, then that's that. I just don't. I'm not like the psalmist. I'm not like a brother Autry or a Dr. Childs. I'm not like the preachers that may stand in the pulpit. Peter says, well, if you're not, then you cultivate that. But God says, verse 2, command is given, 
cultivate a desire, a longing, and a craving for the pure milk of the Word. Now, before you raise all kinds of objections like, how can you command me to have a desire? What can I do to obey a command like that? How do I just produce a desire? My problem, my whole problem is that I don't have the strength of desire that I want. And you just tell me to desire, you may as well tell me to fly. You may as well tell a, 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 a lame man, walk. Hmm, that's an interesting point. In fact, you know what first two is then? With some of those thoughts that you just brought up. Verse 2 is a powerful deliverance from spiritual fatalism. It's a mighty deliverance from this, I just can't. I just don't have it. I'm not even sure if I want it. Verse 2 is a way to deliver you from your, I can't. I don't have it. I don't want it. See, the fatalist says, I can't get up. I can't even run. My feet are frozen in my genetic makeup and my dysfunctional family of origin. And besides that, I don't have any special power. I cannot get free. That's just the way I am. But over against that fatalistic mindset is the good news of the powerful word of God that says, rise, take up thy bed and walk and run and even fly if God tells you to do so. You don't have the desires for the milk of the word of God. Peter says, fine, but get them because you can have them. This says that just as essential as having the desires for the word, we're supposed to have a trust in God that if he gives me this command, he must know something I don't know. He must have some power that we don't have. He must have some kind of special way of enabling me. There must be a way with the God who is the way. See, if God commands it, there must be a way. I will not settle then for less than what God commands, even if it is a command to get up and fly. That is how you should pray and even believe God when you read 1 Peter 2 and verse 2. Crave the pure milk of the Word of God. As newborn babes desire, cultivate a deep longing for the sincere milk of the Word. Let me ask you a question. Since you've been saved, are you still hungry? I want to tell you why people don't join church and don't come to church. is because they're not as hungry for God. Ask the Lord to restore your spiritual appetite. When we don't eat properly, our health will suffer. And when the trials come, you're going to be too weak to fight through the battle. You know what happens when people are not committed to God? You say, I'm committed to God. Well, are you committed to His body? He's the head of the church. The church is not something mystical out there. It is something that is physical and visible. And, and when you're not committed to that, the devil says, I can throw anything at you. Rain? I may not need to go to church. We can watch it online. Family comes by? Oh, I guess we got to entertain the family. 
friends come. You have one man in the Bible says, but I've got a death in the family. What do I do? And Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead. You have all kinds of excuses for not coming. Why? Mark it down. You don't really hunger for him as you should. You don't thirst for him. You don't long for him. Long for the word of God. Do you not have the longing? Well, get the longing. Do you not desire the word? Well, start desiring the word. Do not say I'm just this way. Peter says, don't be that way. Do not settle for a spiritual fatalism. It is not God's will for you to settle for anything less than what he's commanded. Now, the command is to desire, crave God's word. How long have you been saved and you haven't had that craving? I want it. How do I get it? Good question. And God answers good questions. The answer is in verse 1. Wherefore? What was he talking about before? He was talking about the word of God. Verse number 25, but the word of the Lord is in, endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel was preached unto you. Chapter 2, verse 1, wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings. Do you know how to cultivate a desire and get that hunger and love and, and, and that, that craving for God's word just as a newborn baby would crave without having to be told, without having to, to be shown, without having to understand all the, the, the biology that goes into why a, a human body wants milk at, at, as a newborn. Without all of that, God says you should have that craving and longing for me as well in my word but if you don't here's why verse 1 you need to do some cleaning of the house there needs to be repentance repentance is what's being called for see Satan doesn't attack once and then give up he comes at us every opportunity do you know uh, many are going to take off called holiday for Christmas and New Year's but do you know this Satan doesn't take off for holidays He's relentless and he knows that he has but a short time, the Bible says. So we must be armed for battle constantly. Genesis 39, verse 10. It came to pass as she, Potiphar's wife, spake to Joseph day by day. 1 Corinthians 15, 31, Paul says, I die daily. See, soldiers don't fight constantly. But they are constantly to be in a mode of readiness for battle. Daily preparation is the key to winning the war against our enemy. And as with Joseph, the temptation will come day by day. So how can we be ready? Verse number one of chapter two, first word is wherefore, wherefore, therefore, rid yourselves of these things. Clean house repent, change your mind. And Peter lists five sins of attitude and speech, which if these are harbored, the Holy Spirit chose these. 
as an indication of what drives a wedge between us and the Lord and what dries up our craving and desire for God. Now the first two commands he mentions are concerns about our attitude regarding each other. How do we treat each other? Do we want others to fail or look bad compared to us? You know, soldiers in the same army don't tear each other down. They're on the same team. They've learned to depend on each other rather than destroy each other. And so Peter's wanting us to just understand that we need reconciliation within the troops, but not just an army, but a body, God's body. So let's look at these, verse 1. Wherefore, laying aside all, first one is, say the word, malice. That is wicked ill will. Malice is a desire to hurt someone with words or deeds. Well, I didn't say anything about them. No, but your expression gave the room an idea of how you felt about them. Malice. Number two, all guile. What is guile? It's deceit. It's deliberate dishonesty. I think that occurs a lot of times in an invitation. The invitation is among the disciples of this church, if God's spoken to your heart, you need to trust and obey. The altar is open. And here's what people full of guile do. I don't think God spoke to me. Well, God, if you base it upon that, God's not spoken to you in a long, long time. Well, no, I just don't think I have to go forward. Well, the problem is you're really not thinking. Because God resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. And that kind of response is a response of pride, not a response of humility. Guile is deliberate dishonesty. It's a desire to gain some advantage or preserve some position by deceiving others. If the devil can get us to attack each other, if he can get us to try to put on a pretense, put on a mask, we don't want to get too close. We might be exposed. Then the devil has cut down his work in our life because we're doing much of the work for him. Here's a third one. Clean house, repent, change your mind, deal with the sin number three of hypocrisy. Now that's a pretense of piety and love. It's a desire to not be known for what one really is and it just goes a little bit further and deeper than that of guile. Guile is being deceitful. Hypocrisy refers to actions that do not match one's words. Hypocrisy is probably the leading excuse in people's hearts for not getting saved because they've known some hypocrites. They've seen something in the life of somebody who claimed to be a believer, but was inconsistent. Our walk often speaks so loudly that people can't hear what we're saying. Jesus reserved his harshest words for hypocrites. It's no wonder that the Spirit of God is bringing these up. Number four, envy. It's a resentful discontent. It's a desire for some privilege or benefit that belongs to another with resentment that another has it and you don't. Are you discontent because you desire something that someone else might have? We forget the command, thou shalt not covet. 
But did you know that if someone has material possession, they have it because God has allowed that to happen? So shouldn't you trust God with that problem? Peter is contrasting the sin of envying, wanting what somebody else has with the command, instead you should crave God's word. God commands us to be content. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Hebrews 13, 5. The fifth command or the fifth sin that he deals with is all evil speakings. This is slander. This is backbiting. Lies. This is the desire for revenge and self-enhancement that that results oftentimes in this drive to divert attention from our own shortcomings. And so what happens is what what I call marginalizing. People will, and preachers can be good at this as well. If one ministry is getting more attention than mine, the tendency is we'll marginalize. Well, you don't really know what I know about that ministry. Marginalizing others so that you can benefit yourself. We often call inappropriate words a slip of the tongue. But that's a misnomer, as the Bible tells us that our words reveal what is really in our hearts. Matthew 12, 34, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. That playground statement, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, is one of the great lies of Satan. Words do hurt, and often for a very long time. Our words can help or hinder, they can build or bury, and in fact, they can bring life or death. Proverbs 18, 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Here's a great prayer to pray each day. Psalm 19, 14, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. See, when you're not longing for God's word, when you don't have a craving for God's word, when you don't have a desire and an appetite for God's word, Peter says, then you need to take a look and see what sin is being coddled, nurtured, cultivated, fed like it's a stray animal. What sin is it that put Jesus on the cross that you're minimizing? You should never be able to stomach what crucified your Savior. If you want to experience desire for God's Word, if you want desires for growth, if you want to taste fully the kindness of the Lord, deal with sin clean house. That's why many times, again, go to camp, we have a revival meeting, we have a a special prayer, progress um, or progression of truth and and many times there is a cleaning of house because all of a sudden people get serious about the things of God and they think man what we need is always a special meeting because I never felt so close to God you feel close to God in a meeting out of meeting if you would unload the truck clean house get honest and cultivate the desire to thirst and hunger for God's word you would always have revival 
No preacher brings revival in a suitcase. Only God can give it. And he gives it to the humble and hungry child of God. Peter's point is this. Don't think that you can, in the same heart, have a flourishing of a desire to experience God and a harboring and a justifying of sin. It won't happen. So he says, fight against spiritual fatalism. Fight to destroy the desires for malice and guile and hypocrisies and envies and evil speakings and fight to taste the good truth of God's word. Now, here's something in verse one you'll find three times. It's the word all. Wherefore, laying aside all malice, all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, all. See, we, we dabble with getting right but we're not going to be able to ever have a dabbling of God meeting with us. We're deceived. He says all. person driving Brother Rice a tractor trailer with one tire flat. I think it's possible. Undoubtedly it's possible. But I also believe it'll slow you down. It's costly and it's a time waster. And if a person continues to drive on that flat tire, it may even lead to some embarrassment. Eventually that flat tire may even cause a fire. And when we're challenged to lay aside all, we must be careful to lay aside all and not say, well, most of the tires are inflated. It's just the one. It's not saying, well, I've dealt with most of these, but there's just this one. I've, I've reconciled with everybody, but this one, you don't know this. This is a special case. And Peter says, don't you be shocked. Don't you be surprised, but you will not have a deep hunger and love and craving for God's word. You still with me? So now I'm doing this backwards. Let's get the whole text in view. I want us to stand back and get this whole text here. He says, since you've been born again, that's wherefore, verse number one, because he's talking about verse number 23 of chapter one, being born again, not of corruptible seed. It is God's word that has power to birth you into the family of God. Since you've been saved, notice he begins with that wherefore. So whatever he's about to say is based upon the word of God that he's been talking about. And it's, a, it's an incredible word. We've already gone through all that. I, I'd love to walk back through it, but, but I'm gonna trust you that you're going to do your own homework and you're going to read it and remember it and tie it together. But he's saying because of that enduring, living, all-powerful word, because of that, since you've been born again by the word of God, deal with sin, clean house, unload the truck before God. And, and by that, now cultivate and, 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 and create desires and longings. It's a command. I can't do it. God says you can. And you can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth you. Do you see the connection in, in these verses back to chapter 1? Emphasizing the word of being born by the word. He says, therefore, long for it. Desire it. If you begin your life with the power of the word, then let the power of the word, let me say, if God's powerful word is the instrument, according to verse 23 of chapter one, that saved your soul, he says, let the power of God's word satisfy your soul. 
Now here's verse 3. I've got to get verse 3 in. If so be, ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Now he's quoting from a verse in Psalm. Anybody recognize the verse? Peter changed it up a little bit. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Now, now Peter changes it because now in Psalm 34 and verse 8, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good, that's a command. But he doesn't make it a command. For Peter, he's saying if you're saved, it already happened. Remember when you got saved? Remember? You tasted. You experienced that God was good in saving your soul. He also drops, Peter does, Psalm 34 and verse 8, you see it up here. Oh, taste and see. He drops the and see. Notice again verse number 3 of chapter 2. If so be ye have tasted. Since tasting the Lord has already happened, there's not a need for a command to perceive that the Lord is good. In other words, when somebody's not saved, what we're trying to tell them is, God loves you. Jesus died for you. You call. He'll answer. He'll save your soul. Just try, taste, and see that the Lord is good. But here Peter is saying, it already happened. See, the word taste, you know what the word taste means? I, I did some, a little bit of work just to make sure I'm, I'm not moving it, manipulating it. But here's literally what the word taste means here. It means to experience. That's a great verse for our theme, isn't it? I feel like I need to do the theme all over again, coming up with more places where that's emphasized. The word tasted means that you've experienced. You found it to be true that the Lord is gracious, the Lord was good, that the Lord is kind. In other words, as you study the Word of God, you'll find Jesus. When you experience Jesus in His Word, there's something that is tremendously sustaining and satisfying about the Lord Jesus. Jesus sustains the heart. He satisfies the human soul. And what Peter is saying is, those who have just gotten saved and these haven't been saved very long in 1 Peter, he's saying, you've tasted. You've, ta- you've experienced the goodness of God at salvation. And since you've tasted and experienced that the Lord is good, since you've tasted and experienced that the Lord is gracious, he says this, verse number two now, desire the sincere milk of the word. Now I'm going to tie those together in just a moment. Why is it, however, we fail to desire the milk, well, there's sin, yes, that too is the part of the problem. Sometimes it's because we're feeding on the wrong things. There are many here who are aware of some of my addictions. I've had addictions for many years. Reese's. My newest addiction is Chris Holcomb's cheesecake. It is the best cheesecake I have ever had, and I am a cheesecake connoisseur. I read an article the other day that said chocolate's good for you. I said, keep those articles coming. That's what I'm looking for. <laughs> One of my downfalls is going to like a Sam's and where they let you sample. They give you just real little samples. 
It's not like going into the kitchen when Chris Cherry is in there cooking. He gives me big samples. But, but I'll go get those little samples. And if there's ever chocolate, I'll go out with a five-pound bar of chocolate. What this verse is saying is if you've ever experienced or tasted Jesus, just take a little taste of the Lord. Oh, Brother Andre, I have a thought. If I could just take what Jesus means to me out of my heart and put it in somebody else's heart just for five seconds, they'll never let them go. When you are okay with not returning to church, it's because you've been nibbling somewhere else. A little boy came home from the store and he had his bucket of honey. And he's dipping his finger in that honey and tasting. And the man said, son, what do you have in the bucket? The boy said, well, I've got honey. The man said, well, how does it taste? And the boy says, it's sweet. The man said, well, how sweet is it? The boy said, very sweet. It reminded me of how some of the sports announcers interview people. The athletes ask some of the dumbest questions. Remember years ago after one of the bowl games, it was a sugar bowl. And one of the players who on the winning team just won and the reporter asked the question, was this a sweet victory? He said, yes, it was. He said, well, how sweet is it? I mean, he's on the spot. He just won. And he said, as sweet as a five-pound bag of sugar. I'm thinking, you ask dumb questions, you get a dumb answer. How do, how do you answer that? And the man kept that. Well, how sweet is it? The boy said, very sweet. And, and the man said, well, well, how sweet is very sweet? And the boy said, out of exasperation, he said, sir, just taste it for yourself. The disciplines of the Christian life, well, they can get old, monotonous. And too often people are focusing on the disciplines and they fail to see the delight. They fail to see the satisfying of the honey of God's word. God's commands are not grievous. But they're reasonable service. When you say, I have to, instead of I get to, I think what Peter is reminding us is, go back to when you tasted of the goodness of God. Go back to Calvary and refresh your memory of the price Jesus paid for you to have eternal and abundant life. Go back to that, that the Lord is gracious. Go back to that time. Now, let me wrap it up with what is sincere milk? The sincere milk, sincere just means pure, unadulterated. It's not hypocritical. But I believe there's a connection between the intense longing or craving for the spiritual milk in verse 2 and the tasting of the kindness of the Lord in verse 3. I believe if you put them together, it would say this, cultivate. A deep longing for the spiritual milk since you've tasted the kindness and the goodness of the Lord. You know, the milk is the milk of God's kindness. This milk is, is the craving of the milk of God's goodness. This is not a contradiction of, I thought he was talking about the Word of God. It is. But it's about the, the Word of God that is pure and powerful and good and sustaining and satisfying. In other words, don't just settle with reading it so I can check it off, so I can get to the end of the year saying, I finished it. No, he says, 
settle for the fact that I can have a deep relationship that's alive and abounding that gives me hope because I can go to the powerful, pure word of God that will not only only save my soul, but it sustains me and it satisfies me. And I'm to cultivate a deep thirst, hunger, craving for the good, sincere, excellent, gracious word of God. Well, and let me say with that, if the word of God is powerful enough to create Christians, that's what he says in chapter one, saved us, then the word of God is powerful enough to revive us, to create deep desire and a languishing, floundering, spiritually fatalistic soul. Don't be a spiritual fatalist. The power at work within you is the word of God to bring life back to you. And if you can trust it to save you, you can trust it to satisfy you. What's the result of all this this morning that we've been talking about? The result is at the end of verse 2. Look at it. That ye may grow thereby. What does that mean? That you keep experiencing God. Each day gets sweeter than the day before. The more you know Him, the more you'll love Him. The more you love Him, the more you'll find of Him. He wants to come into your life. If you're not saved, He wants to save your soul. He wants to come in and clean you up. He wants to come in and transform, change your life. All you need to do is try Him, taste, and see. But for God's people, growth is necessary. Don't fall into the spiritual fatalism. Don't fall into the spiritual fatalism that says, I can't grow, I can't change, I don't need to. No, growth is required, but it's a deliberate process. How? Deal with sin. Two, cultivate a craving for God's word. Three, keep the focus right. Meaning, don't put the focus where the devil wants you to put the focus. On what I have to do or always hitting on my sin. Put the focus on, I want to love him. I need a relationship with him. I need those deep cravings and longing for God. When they're not there, something's wrong. And when something's wrong, go see if there's a flat tire. Go see what may need to be adjusted. Go see where you need to clean house. And let's get back to experiencing hope in God. Stand with me, please.